Welcome to Tea Talk. All of life flows from the spiritual center of the culture. If this center is healthy, the culture becomes healthy. Tea Talk is a time of intrigue, investigation, insight, and inspiration, enabling you on your life's journey. Invest in your future by gleaning from today's session. Here's another one under counting the cost. First is routine. The second one is resources. Resources. God operates according to our faith, not according to our initial resources. Mother Teresa said it best. I have a, I'm not called to success. I'm called to be fruitful. She said, I've got $3 and a, and a dream. Your dream is, uh, I tell you what, if you've got a dream from God, you'll never have enough money. Okay, moving right along. Here's an illustration. Look at Matthew. Uh, you don't turn there. Just write it down. Matthew 14 is feeding of the 5,000. He had five loaves and how many fish? Two fish. What did he get? Twelve baskets full that were left over. But, but in the next chapter, Matthew 15, he's feeding 4,000. He has seven loaves and how many fish? The Bible says a few fish. Well, that must be more than two. So now he's got seven loaves and few fish, and guess what happens? He only got seven baskets full that were left over. Hmm. 5,000, you had 12 baskets full. 4,000, you got seven. Glad he didn't have 100 people sitting in front of him. Man, the disciples would have been fasting for weeks. You know, in Matthew 16, this thing comes up again. And Jesus reminds him, remember when I, because they were worried about the bread on the boat, you know. And Jesus was talking about the leaven of the Pharisees, and they couldn't get the connection. And what, what Jesus was saying to them is, guys, you're thinking about the natural thing. And because he brings up about, remember, I fed the 5,000, I fed the 4,000, and how much you had left over, and all that kind of stuff. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. The leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy, and it will remind you of all the resources you don't have to do what God wants you to do. So here's what you've got to understand with resources. It will always cost you more than you thought. How many ever jumped into something you go, well, I didn't know it was going to be like this. How many have ever said that one? Man, I had no idea. They, I remember a, a, a cowboy pastor, a friend of ours, uh, you know, they told him, buy the building, buy the building. He went and bought the building. He says, they'll come. They'll pack this place out. So he went and bought the building. So I was up there afterwards, and he goes, Brother Terry, he says, when are they all going to come? And I go, what do you mean when are they all going to come? He said, well, my leaders told me to go and buy the building, and they would come. And he said, they ain't coming. He said, what am I going to do? And I said, pray. <laughs> well, you don't have an answer. Just tell them to pray. That's all you need to do is tell them to pray. Yeah, that's a good, you know. He said, what am I going to do? So the next year I went uh, uh, out there with him. And man, we go out to eat. I didn't get to minister that night. He was down to 20 people. And he has this massive building. And he's crying. He said, Terry, what do I do? And I said, I got a word for you. And he goes, what's that? I said, sell it. Amen. I said, because there's more to ministry than just standing up and preaching the gospel. I said, preaching is just about 10%. It will cost you more than you thought. How many have ever built a house? How many of you know the builder comes back to you and say, well, we had some overruns here, and you're going to have to pay for this, and, you know. You see, with this, we always think about who we'll lose instead of what we'll gain. This mentality is strong in the church today. That's why we have a cultural compatible church is the leadership is worried about what we'll lose, and what we need to understand is we need to figure out how we're going to take care of what we're going to gain. 
There's a principle. Every shift in your life, every major shift in your life is preceded by decrease. The money dries up. You don't feel spiritual. You don't feel like praying. You don't want to read the word. You don't want to do all that type of things. All you want to do is sit and watch a cowboy game and get more depressed. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Why? Because John the Baptist said it, and it's a principle you need to understand. Before there's increase, there's always decrease. And he said, the word Jordan means to go down. You've got to go down to Jordan before you can come up out of Jordan. There's always a decrease in a major shift in your life. There's always a decrease before there's an increase. And some people never figure that out. Because they're trying to figure out why they're decreasing instead of looking for how they're going to increase and making preparation for the increase. Does that make sense to you? So it'll cost you more than you thought. Some of the cost, here's some of the cost. I'll just throw this out here. Okay, I want to be spiritual. Mortify the flesh. How many of you know? Your flesh is screaming when you some things you want to do and the Lord won't let you do it. You're trying to figure out every justifiable way that it's okay to go ahead and do it. But he says, you got to mortify your flesh. Here's another one. Deny self, not self-denial. What's the difference? Denying self is saying to that master inside of you, you're not in charge. But self-denial is your attempt, your attempt to be spiritual. Okay? Self-denial. Here's another one. Watchfulness. Keep your eyes open. Opportunities are all around you. See? Learn to train those eyes to see that. I told you about the deer hunters the other day. I, I've been with construction people. I remember our first house. It was a remodel job that we got in our construction. We walked in the house, and, man, you could see daylight through the ceiling. And we looked up in the attic, and, man, you really see daylight. And, man, the, the, I mean, there was roaches everywhere and all this kind of stuff, and that construction guy's going, wow, this is fantastic. <laughs> And Becky's going, I don't, want, I don't want anything to do with this place at all. You know, evidently they just ended a can, I mean, a whole company of raid in that house. I mean, it was terrible. But you know why? He had a perspective. We had a perception. See? And he goes, no, no, this is what we can do. And he starts naming all the things. The more he named, the more encouraged we got. But we couldn't see it. But he could. He could. Why? Because he had watchful eyes. Watchful eyes. We need to have watchful eyes. The way we're going to rule is we got to see it like God sees it. How many have ever said, man, they are the luckiest people. They get all the breaks. They get, man, how in the world that happened for them? You know why? Because they got watchful eyes. Figure out what your garden is and get watchful eyes. I can, I can take you down things that have to do with the apostolic. You don't sit on top of the apostolic, I'll go with you. And I can tell when things are apostolic and when things are not. I can, I, 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 that's, my, that's my cross. That's my course. You see, and you've got the same thing in your arena. All right, watchfulness. And the last one is, some of the cost is your reputation. If Jesus made of himself no reputation, we're doing everything we can to make a reputation. I told this to Pastor Sean. When he was uh, pastoring uh, in Tombaugh, and they had dirt floors and hay bales, and it was hot. I mean, 
I mean, in the summertime, you go there and preach. It was so hot. They had those big old fans going all day just stir up the heat. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I'd go there and preach, and I'd sweat in places I didn't know you could sweat there. You know, I mean, it was hot. It was terrible. And so, so man, he started changing. He started cleaning it up and doing some cosmetic things to the facility, put the, took the dirt floor out, put a cement floor down, you know, finally got inside toilets, man. But every cosmetic change that he made to make the people comfortable, why? Because when they had to sit in the heat, when they had to walk in the dirt, when they had to sit on hay bales, they were grumping, they were griming, they were complaining, they were doing stuff, but they were sacrificing. And you take away people's sacrifice, they don't appreciate it. Why do you think these people go out to the disasters? Because they have such a heart for those people? No, they're out there offering a sacrifice. I stood in, you go and stand in the coffee shop and listen to them. Man, we stood in mud up to our knees. We couldn't get to that house. Man, it was, the roof was gone. They tell you all these stories. And man, they, uh, why? But in their heart, they are warm and they are full. Reputation. But what do we do? We try to build things to make people comfortable so they won't come. There's no sacrifice in this nation because we do it all for them. Shame on us. Now, I'm not saying we need to meet under trees. may not be a bad idea. Okay, we'll move on. Now, here's, he says, if you count the cost, he says, and you're not able to finish, verse 29 through 30, I've got to hurry. If you're not able to finish, it's better not to begin than to begin and not finish. Why does a person not finish? Number one, there's no resolution in this mission. Number two, they have no courage. And number three, they have no roots. They have no roots. All right, so we talked about building the tower first. This is the first stage. Second stage is going to battle, verse 31 and 32. Proverbs 24 and verse 6 says this, by wise guidance, thou shalt make your war. Wisdom, there is wisdom in a multitude of, of counselors, uh, a multitude. There's wisdom in a multitude, and there's uh, safety in counselors. So the first thing that he says in going to battle is, sit down and consult with someone else. Sit down and consult with somebody that's a little bit smarter than us, knows a little bit more. Or read to people and sit down. I remember I was working with a church over near Austin, and they, got, they got a, brought a new guy in, and he'd been part of a big citywide uh, intercessory prayer thing that was going on in that region. And he comes in, and this church, now I'd worked with this church three or four years, and I understood they barely under, knew how to spell pray, let alone take on regional demons. And so he comes in and he goes, we're going to tear the devils down and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to intercede and we're going to, and, you know, he just brought that right over. But see, what he did is he brought what they were doing over there and he didn't read those people. And so I sat down with him and I said, I want to tell you something. You're going to, you're going to open these people up for attacks. He goes, that's, that's unbelief. I go, no, that's the truth. I said, there are demons here waiting to take this group out. They're waiting for it. And the minute that you put armor on them that they can't even handle and they can't even wear, 
That thing is like taking babies and putting them in a full soldier outfit and saying, now we're going to go out there and we're going to whip the snot out of the enemy. I said, that's exactly what you're doing. He said, I don't believe that and I don't agree with that. I said, well, okay, you're the leader now. I said, but I've been with them for three years and I'm telling you, they can't handle it. That church is no longer there today. Marriages were busted up. I'm telling you, man, you take on the enemy, you better know what you're doing. You better know what you're doing. All right, moving along here. Sits down and consults. Communication is important. It's the greatest challenge in the modern life. How many know? We got all kinds of communicating things today. It's still, we are inefficient when it comes to communication. In war, the first thing they do is they knock out what? The communication. That's what the enemy does. He tries to break down the communication. If Sonny and I got at odds, and I know he's always wrong and I'm right, what's the enemy trying to do? He's trying to what? Break down the communication with us. Why? Because the word communication is not just verbiage. It means common ground. That's the bigger perspective. And so in Sunday night, we may not be saying the same thing, but are we still on the common ground? Are we still headed in the same direction? Are we still com common unity, community? If we're having those two things, the communication will work itself out. You see, here's what I, I've come to, I tell people all the time. It's, not, it's, it's what I said and what I meant. And for you, it's what you heard and what you thought I meant. That's every time I stand to speak. That's running through my mind, all right? It's kind of like the old couple that was in bed. Uh, you know, they were elderly, and they'd been married 60-some years, years, and, and uh, he leaned over to her and said, Honey, we've been tried, tested, and true. And she leaned over to him and says, Yeah, well, I'm sick and tired of you too. All right, you know. There's always going to be difficulties. There's always going to be obstacles. There's always going to be those type of things. But if you're focused on those things, guess what? That makes the victory that much more sweeter. And we need victories under our belt. Notice he says, when you go to battle 10,000 against 20,000, the odds will always be against you. Your mind will tell you that. People will remind you of that. It can be done. I mean, how many of you know you got those cheerleaders telling you it's not going to work? You see, it, it, we're, we're attracting people that's either going to be for us or against us. The principle again, the less we have, the more we have. All right? The conditions. Then he says, that if they, that I don't have enough to go to battle. Listen, sometimes it's just better to roll up your sleeve, back away, and say, let's fight another day. Every general will tell you that. There's a time to fight and there's a time just to stand your ground. There's sometimes that you need to retreat. But he says, if that doesn't happen, look for the conditions of peace. That's the ultimate goal here. Peace. How do we get the conditions of peace? Write it down. Number one, develop a strategy. What is a plan that we can have for peace? Okay, what is a plan? Now remember, peace is not the absence of againstness against us. Peace, there, there may be people against you, but if you've got peace, if there's peace, that's one of the great things that was a testimony in Tomball is that when people come in and they would go to Sean, they say, you know, we were looking for this and where we go, there's nothing but chaos and disorder and disharmony, but here there's some harmony and peace. That's what we want settled in the midst of us. 
Peace of God that passes all understanding. Peace is the umpire and the referee is what Colossians tells us. So we talk about building the tower, then we talk about going to battle, and the third thing I'll give you is salt is good. Would everybody say salt is good? Salt is good. I remember if you go down to Brownsville, there's an island, uh, there's Padre Island, then there's uh, Brownsville, then there's Matamoros, but Padre Island actually extends all the way into Mexico. And there's a little fishing village there that we got a church that uh, we've ministered several times at. It's called Mesquital. And uh, it's funny that when the pastor started going down there, he, he went and was, God told him to go down there and plant a church. And so it's right there. And of course, they got a lagoon on one side and they got the Gulf of Mexico on the other. And he said, Lord, I don't know where to look. And the Lord showed him this piece of property. And he said, Lord, I think this is what I'm going to claim right here. Because Mexico, you just, nobody's claiming it. You ain't claiming it. It's your property. So he claimed the property. Come find out. Well, no, how he did it was uh, he would go down and he said, I noticed that the animals, they would always go over to that piece of property and drink water. It was the only place on that island that had fresh water. And he said, that's where God led him. And so going to that center, you pass a salt farm. And they, they're, how they're harvesting salt out of the Gulf of Mexico. And they got this huge salt farm that's out there. And you see all these little white mounds and all this kind of stuff taking place there. So salt is good. But salt in the Bible days, the, it was actually used for salary. Everybody all right? Salary, okay. It, it, but salt was also a representation of loyalty. Loyalty. I mean, you know, we don't have that much today. I mean, you know, we're loyal to the cheapest monthly payment. Isn't that right? I remember my granddad, he was a Chevrolet man. I mean, if you drove anything but a, anything but a Chevrolet, you're part of the Antichrist system as far as he is concerned. I mean, he, he, he was Chevrolet. And my dad drove up one day in a Plymouth. My granddad didn't talk to him for two months. No serious conversation. I mean, you know, they need things done, but no serious conversation. He finally asked him, what are you doing driving that thing? He wouldn't even give it a name. Why? Because in that generation, they understood something about loyalty. Loyalty. Salt is also a preserver. And how do we pre uh, have... Pre uh, 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 being a, how, do, how are we a preserver? It's through perseverance from spiritual decay around us. Now, here's what he says. Go on back here to verse 34. Salt is good, but the salt has lost its savor. It's good for nothing. Good for nothing. Now, let me, in Matthew chapter 5, write it down. He's talking about we're the salt of the earth, and he talks about salt is, has lost its savor, same thing. It has lost its savor. Uh, uh, it's good. It's uh, 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 it's it's to be. It's good for nothing, and it's to be thrown out and trodden underfoot. How many remember that's what it says in Matthew chapter five? Well, look at this. You got to understand what Jesus was referring to from the historical setting that was there. First of all, salt in the Roman Empire. Salt was a status of wealth. It was used that way as a. A status. I mean, if you had salt, you were somebody. All right? And most of it came from different uh, parts of the Roman Empire, but the main place it came from was the Dead Sea, which was known as the Salt Sea. And so what they would do is they would harvest the salt from the Dead Sea, and they had four ports that the Roman ships would come to, 
these different ports, and then there would be, whenever they got 20 to 30 ships together, they would caravan all the way back to Europe or, or the Middle East somewhere, things like that. They'd all caravan together that they would have an ample supply of salt. And so what would happen, though, is that while these ships were in port and there'd be ships that had already gotten their load of salt, how many of you know there's always been revolutionaries and guerrillas? Well, these Jewish revolutionaries known as the Zealots, uh, they, what they would do is they would sabotage these ships as they waited in the port. And what they would do is that nighttime, they would sneak on board and they would mix dirt with the salt uh, as it's there. And as a result, when the dirt got in there, it lost its savor. All right? And so the unsavory salt then was worthless. So what they would do is take the salt and they would put it on the Roman roads and it would be what? Trodden under foot by the people that were there. Now here's what Jesus is saying. He said, you are salt. You have a savor. You have a flavor about you. But wherever you have mixture, your salt is going to lose its savor. You see, that's what he's saying. It, it, you, you, you lose your flavor. You are ineffective is a better word. Not necessarily worthless, but there's so much mixture in there, and we have to have those times. Let me say this. I, I am of the opinion, just opinion, now thus saith the Lord, I'm of the opinion a church needs a deliverance weekend at least once a year. Because there are things that come to harass us. There are things that come and set in our mindsets. There are things that come that pollute us. And they're pulling us into this. It's not that I'm doing anything wrong. I've just got the wrong. I'm mixing things in it. I'm mixing carnality in it. Or I'm mixing uh, even some demonic stuff in it. Don't even realize it. One of the problems of the Catholic Church, what they did when they went into areas, they would find where the people were worshiping pagans and they built a church right over where they were worshiping pagans and never took that place through any kind of exorcism. And so what do you have? Now you have all this mixture inside the Catholic Church that's going on. And there's other churches here right in this our country that at one time they were spirit-filled churches. They were Holy Ghost churches, and now the Holy Ghost has been, been booted out because the mixture is stronger than the desire for the Holy Ghost. It's losing its savor. We lost our, uh, we've lost our influence in the community. See, now you mentioned church, everybody thinks of a building, and they only think of the pastor that's leading that church. That's how mixed it's got in with the midst of it. And so Jesus comes along, and once again, this is the first one. First, count the cost, he says. And then he says, when you go to war, sit down first and consult whether you be able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000, okay? And so there's, here's another first fruits principle that we're looking at here. If we're going to be disciplined ones, or we're going to be disciples, then guess what? There's a progression. We got to build first. Then we got to learn how to war second, and then we got to learn how to be, how to persevere third. 
That's what he's saying through this principle. Because tonight, God's building a new thing in our lives. He's building a, a, a powerful thing in our lives. And there's a cost to it. I know a lot of people, and you hear a lot about the apostolic today. And I have sat down with leaders, and we started down this path. And man, all of a sudden, I'm telling you, the enemy starts coming in. Why? Because this ap apostleship was the original way. It wasn't a substitute way. It was God's way before the foundation of the world. They start down that path, and man, they come under attack. But here's the main thing, is the leader isn't the head cheese anymore. And they think they're losing control. They, what they don't realize is the more you let go, the more you're in control. That's the way it works in apostleship. And so what do they do? They back off. They say, listen, Terry, we're not going to do that anymore. Why? Because the mixture was greater than the principles that God has set down. The first fruit principle that's here. And so I say to leaders, first sit down and see if you're willing to, to pay the price. Count the cost. It's a choice. Say, so, well, what happens to those ministries? Nothing. God leaves them right where they are. But if you go to Ezekiel 44, and I wish I had time just to teach on that. Ezekiel 44, you go there, it says these priests that have defiled, these are the things that it, it, that it gets to do. It can take offerings, it can do ministry, it can do all that kind of stuff, but there's four things that it cannot do, and the primary thing was come into the presence of God. Now, to me, that's an indictment. I'd rather come into the presence of God and have all that other stuff by the wayside. Amen. See? And so tonight, we've learned counting the cost. And that's what God is doing to his people today, telling us, are you willing to pay the price? Thank you for joining today in your pursuit of perfection and peace of mind. For more experienced and valuable choices, visit our website, terrylthompson.org. Stay connected for more life-changing and reliable systems of thought and renewal.